Beehive Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Joe Bees. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Beehive Sports Podcast. Special guest today, he is a 78-time slow-pitch softball champion. He is the 2010 home run king. And he actually is the pitcher to Tory Means, who was the 2011 home run king. Kylie Munch, the Yapton. How's it going, everybody? <laughs> Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, anytime. So, Kylie and I have been friends for quite a long time. We kind of were drawn to each other because of sports, obviously, but we're both Buffalo Bills fans, both big into baseball. And actually, when I moved back to Warren in 2014, Kylie and I went the following year when the Astros started to not suck. Turns out they were cheating, but I didn't know that at the time. We went to Cleveland, watched a game together. Uh, we Keiko was pitching, and we wore fake beards and actually got on television. So I, I think that is the photo I'm going to use. You'll see that when you're watching or uh, when you're listening to the podcast. The cover photo is going to be me and Kylie with fake beards when we made it on television. So speaking of baseball... Uh, one of the things I want to open up with here today, Madison Baumgartner, he, he's uh, made some headlines lately because of something that he did that's never been done. Now that the the COVID uh, limit, the overextended stays at the ballpark, changing doubleheaders to seven innings. So Madison Baumgartner throws a no-hitter. The D-backs beat the Braves 7 nothing. So no hits, no walks, seven Ks. In a seven inning game, it's an official game. Is this a no hitter, Kylie? I guess first and foremost, I guess what I want to say is that you just said something that maybe I'm not even aware of. Is is this just a COVID thing that they're doing? This it for? is. They plan on going back to nine. As far as I know, I, I, I guess depending on how maybe it shakes out for them financially, they may stay that way because that's how minor minor leagues are are seven inning doubleheader games. Okay. But. As far as this rule change, it is a COVID-only rule. And, and it, like I said, it was to limit overextended stays at the ballpark. Mm -hmm. So, Okay, so if that's the case, it makes me not... I There was two major rule changes this year. That that, that you were talking about with the seven-inning doubleheaders and then the extra-inning rule... Um. Well, was that last year as well? I can't. Uh, it was in the shortened season. Okay, yeah. it was in the shortened season. Where they so put the two, runner on, on yeah. second to start the... But they're the two most talked about rules this year for sure. Yeah. Um, And I hate the seven... I despise the seven-inning doubleheaders more than that even. I'm okay with, with the extra inning rule as long as it's regular season. You know what I mean? And right. It it's, doesn't ever carry over into playoffs. Okay. Um, Yeah, the seven-inning thing, though, like... I, I it, the rule itself I I hate um, seven innings is just not baseball to me. Agree. And um, as far as it being a no hitter, I th I think that it should be though. Like, I, and I agree with that. I think you know, given the rule change, you call it a no hitter. If you want to throw a notation next to it and say it was a seven inning game because of a double header because of COVID rules, it's still a no hitter. So what what do they want them to do? Pitch his next two innings of his next start and consider that nine innings scoreless and hitless. If that's what he does, it's stupid. Just that's a no hitter is that's a complete game and it's an official game. Now, I don't know. I was thinking about this too. If a player has a, a no, no going and it in, gets into a rainout scenario where they mark the game official, what, how, how do they, how do they call that? Do they call that a no hitter? Do they call it, 
I don't know. But yeah, I can't recall that ever occurring, but I, so I don't know, right. honestly, but I know that, that I've heard that people bring that up. It still counts as a complete game. Right. I know. Yeah, it's a, it, it's an official game. I mean, mm-hmm. if you bet it, if you, whatever, it's an official game. Right. So, all right. So one of the reasons I brought Kylie on, not just to talk baseball, but he's going to be here for the entire show, actually, all three segments. We are leaving a segment out today. I'll get to that later. Uh, But what we're going to do is a little game where we are going to choose our winners and losers of the NFL draft. I'm calling it the winners and losers of the NFL draft draft because we're going to draft two winners and we're going to draft two losers. The catch is Kylie's doing the AFC. I'm doing the NFC. So we're going to get started with that. Starting with the winning side, we're going to each draft two winners. So Kylie's going to get us off with the very first pick. And with my first pick, I choose the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, now, their big first-round pick was technically Orlando Brown, the right. trade they made, Yep. Um, which I feel was a great move for them. They um, lost two, two tackles this year um, before it even started, so before things got underway. So um, uh, I think Orlando Brown would have been a – probably a top 15 pick if you know he's 25 years old you yeah. know you look at um i think that was a great move for them i think um, so too and the thing about the chiefs that's driving me absolutely insane about the bills <laughs> is that the chiefs had one major issue that they pinpointed and just attacked the hell out of it they picked up joe thunny uh, is that his name joe thunny yeah and just continue to rebuild that offensive line and with Buffalo, I've been saying ever since I started the show, pass rush, pass rush, which clearly in the draft they addressed. But, I mean, the Chiefs went after this in free agency. They went after it. They weren't done. I mean, they picked up uh, Creed. Creed Humphrey, right. the center. Yep. yep. From Oklahoma. Yeah, that was a great pick in the second round for them. Yeah. Um, And then their big, the big one that I liked that they did late, it was like seventh round pick. Was it, it was a long, it's a long shot, but Trey Smith, an offensive uh, guard tackle from Tennessee, he would have been a top ten pick in this draft. He's got a major injury. It, they say it's a long shot that he even ever plays type thing, but it's one of those things where they're throwing you know they're throwing a bullet at it, and you know yeah. if it hits, I mean that's that's an awesome. So that's why him. his draft st- uh, stock went down. Was yeah, the- he's got a major injury. I can't even I can't remember what it was, but it, it, I mean it's got potential to be steal the draft, right? He could be an all-pro All right. Guy. All right. Any more on the Chiefs, or is that? That's about it. They added a couple of guys to their front seven um, here and there as well, which were decent picks, I thought, too, but on defense. All right, so the first winner of the draft for the AFC is the Kansas City Chiefs. So now with my first pick for the winner of the draft for the NFC, I chose the San Francisco 49ers. So I'm going to go over their picks a little bit. Obviously, Trey Lance, who has unlimited upside. Uh, several teams were interested in him. The 49ers got him. Garoppolo, we all know, has health issues. He has consistency issues. He was also the first person to text Trey Lance after he got drafted, which I think speaks a lot about his character. But maybe Jimmy Garoppolo is realizing, hey, maybe I, you know, maybe he just knows that his future is in doubt there. And... For him, it's better to show good character if he's going to be moving on to another team as opposed to, you know, 
being an asshole to to Trey Lance and ignoring it and hating, you know, whatever. He could have he could have reacted differently. He chose to text him and congratulate him. I think that speaks a lot about him. They also picked up another Trey, Trey Sermon, who I think was one of them. Uh, I mean, I think he was like the third ranked running back in the draft or fourth maybe. Um, but Shanahan loves getting production out of running backs. He's done that, uh, and it actually follows if you look at what his dad did. Mike Shanahan and in his past head coaching days, he was like a thousand yard rusher for like so many seasons in a row. Obviously now the gears have shifted more towards passing to running backs. And I think that Trey Sermon is going to have a nice career under Mike Shanahan if he stays healthy and, and, you know, learns the scheme and all that. Uh, They also picked up Aaron Banks. Who's going to compete for a starting guard job right away. Ambry Thomas, who was a, uh, he was another one who, his draft stock, draft stock fell because of a 2020 opt-out because of COVID. But he's a cornerback safety hybrid. Uh, went to Michigan, and it's just a, it's another solid pick. And they got him, you know, later on in the draft because of the opt-out. And I just think the Niners had a good draft. Um, he also Aubrey, Ambry Thomas can he has a return skill going to help them as well. He was pre- uh, projected late second into the third. He was picked at the end around three. That's exactly where it was. So, uh, but with the 49ers, I mean, they're two years removed from the Super Bowl. Injuries plagued them last year. They aren't a bad football team. They have a lot of talent. Uh, so I think that that draft really put them back, you know, on the map and that, and that's a, uh, that division NFC West is probably the best in football. It's loaded with talent. So, they needed to beef up and get some depth, and I think that they accomplished all of that and possibly got who they're hoping is going to be their future starting quarterback. Yep. Uh, you want to move on to my uh, yep, next, let's next go with winner? Okay. Winner number two from the AFC. Okay, winner number two. Uh, a little bit of rich get richer here in the AFC and a little bit of a homer pick with my Buffalo Bills, our Buffalo I Bills. I like it. <laughs> um, they were very uh, – very after their needs in this draft, you could tell they had a top need of pass rusher. They want to get after their top opponent uh, in Patrick Mahomes, and they went after those needs. Um, uh, Gregory Russo, uh, Russo, Russo is how you pronounce that. Um, from Miami, um, this pick will be very highlighted, I think, with the way that um, you wanted the kid from Penn State, Owe. Away. Yeah, I did want him. He, but. Which he's a very um, maybe more athletic kid. Yeah. Than people say um, Russo. It maybe a little bit more of a sure thing. Uh, he showed more on the field in college. He was another opt out. Okay, right. Fifteen yep. and a half sacks in 2019. Okay, and that's then opted out last year. Okay, okay. But he's like his his an 83 inch. 83 inch wingspan. He's like six foot eight. And people, were, yeah, he's like six eight. And people were concerned about his 30 inch vertical. I was like, if he jumps 30 inches, he's still like 14 feet in the air. Like 83 inch wingspan. His long arms are super long. So I was like, who, if he jumped a foot, right? He's still like. So the Bills selected him at 30, um, and then that kid went at 31, and then at 32, Tampa Bay took uh, Joe Tryon. I think it is. From Actually, Michigan, I think they, the next two picks yeah, were, were pass they rushers. They were both all pass rushers. Yeah, and so like this is going to be a very highlighted pick because those guys just went right in a row. I feel like, but um, 
I, I don't know. I like it. And then in the second round, they took Carlos Boogie Basham. Yeah. One of my favorite names. I was really, really surprised, but pleasantly surprised that they went pass rusher twice in a row. Right. Twi- twice in a row. Because they there. didn't do shit with it in free agency. Yeah. And that bothered me. And for them to it address you- that bam, bam, right in a row, yep. I was really, I was shocked, but impressed. And then obviously, you know, my favorite pick of the draft. Oh. My favorite pick of the Bills. Everybody who follows the Facebook page knows Rashad Wild Goose, <laughs> which I came up with my new saying for him. You did. I you sent it to me today. I did. I sent it to you in a text because <laughs> he took OJ Simpson's number 32. So the saying is now from the juice to the goose. And I'm going to market that <laughs> before he does. And I know I had been saying, yeah, I, I love, I love the name and you, Said it, and then he got picked. I yeah, believe yeah, because I said you it said it you. before he even got picked yeah. that you wanted him. I wanted him. Um, he he actually, as far as skill goes, he's not bad. He's a little raw, but that's the kind of guy who McDermott like thrives with. Mm-hmm. He's real handsy, and they said sometimes too handsy. He had some penalties called on him, but everything I watched on him was press coverage. He's great, and he like really follows through the receiver to try and jar the ball loose. So maybe maybe he'll stick. I mean. It's one of those guys who yeah. you just never know if he'll make the team or not, but I well, hope he does. Either round. way, I'm getting his jersey. <laughs> Sixth round pick, I believe, or right. something. So. Yep. Um, and, and in the middle rounds there, um, after they went the two pass rushers, they went with two offensive tackles who were pretty raw, but from what I understand, very talented guys. Uh, uh, Spencer Brown from Spencer Northern, Northern Iowa, a small school, but people, from what I understand, love his frame and his body of work and like, uh, and think that there's a lot of potential there. He, there's a video of him benching one rep, 500 pounds. Yeah. He impressive. has a spotter, but the spotter doesn't touch the bar. And I believe he's, he's even taller he's a strong than dude. Russo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a big dude. <laughs> um, and then Tommy Doyle from Miami of Ohio was Doyle the next rules. one. <laughs> yes. Yes. Doyle rules. Uh, so two two little bit of projects here with, the, uh, with these often tackles. It seems like where they they weren't as much of a right now need. I thought um, I feel like, which is good. They got some depth, young kids that they can they can groom. build up. Yeah, yep. they can groom up for sure. They, the pass rush. They got some guys that can be immediate impacts. I think a little bit more and early in the draft. So I think that was smart. You know. Yep. Um, and then the uh, one other, you know, a couple secondary guys. You mentioned Wild Goose. Hamlin from Pittsburgh. Uh, some people have told me some good uh, things about. Mo. Yeah, Andrew Morrison, and he's. I actually ran into him yesterday after you uh, had, you know, told me what he had said, and I asked him about it, and he said, you know, being a uh, a Pitt fan, which I don't think he's, you know, always super happy about, but mm-hmm. he's a Pitt fan, and he watches all the games, and he said that that kid's been the best player on the team for like four years. That's what he told me too. Yeah, and he wanted, he wanted, he's a Steelers fan. He was. Hoping the Steelers would take him late in the draft. He said we got a good one in him, he thinks. Excellent. Um, and then they, we lost Andre Roberts in the, in the, um, free, in free agency. Right. To Houston. To Houston. They added a Marquez Stevenson from, from Houston yeah. University. Right. Um, who was a really good kick returner in college, I guess. He had three kick returns for touchdowns. So they assessed a, a need there. should get some competition at that spot. Cause I still think, uh, I think we'll see McKenzie. Right. Doing some kick returning for sure. At least punt returning. Yeah, he'll definitely probably take the punt returns, I would think. And then there's some competition. But it's also a guy you don't want to specialize in that spot because he's a gadget guy and they don't want him getting hurt either. So, tough saying. But But I think they did a lot with what they had. They may not have had the best 
players in the AFC. But I think with what the picks they had, they did the most with them. FanDuel had the Bills listed as the second worst draft. C-minus. Second worst. Second worst. <laughs> I'm not giving them my money anymore. I mean, I yeah, I am. But you know what I mean. Still piss me off. <laughs> All right, so we'll move to winner two for me then, right? You're all wrapped up with the Bills, and yep. we'll get called homers for that. That's fine. <laughs> Can't help it sometimes, you know? We'll and it's my that. show. We can talk about whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right. So winner two with the second pick of the winners of the NFL draft draft. I select the Chicago Bears. Uh, yeah, I took two teams that took quarterbacks. But look at the Bears. So the Bears never do anything at the quarterback position, like ever, as far as, I mean, they sign in their quarterback depth chart right now, Andy Dalton, Nick Foles, and now Justin Fields. So Dalton, you know what you got. Foles, you never know what you got, but it never seems good except for, for one playoff run with the Eagles. That guy might, between him and Sam Bradford, is there any quarterback that has had that much little success and has made that much money? Right. He just gets paid everywhere he goes right, and sucks, sure. but he gets paid because of that performance in the playoffs. I mean, yeah. he's a Super Bowl champion. Yep. You know, and no, that's uh, a good assessment. Yeah. yeah. So I, but anyways, they look to the future with Justin Fields. It, here's the thing. I've, I've said awful things about Ohio state quarterbacks. I've said awful things about Alabama quarterbacks, but the thing is, is you never know what you get. In the draft, you think, you know, because of past stuff, you think, you know, because of bad games they had or good games they had. And and realistically, it's where a guy goes, how he fits a scheme and if he can translate his game into an NFL style of game, which historically Ohio State quarterbacks haven't really done. So I still think it's a good pick for them. They they're they're not far off from being a pretty good football team. They always have a solid defense. Um they had uh, wide receivers. They have a, like a thin but talented group of wide receivers, and they added to that with this draft with Daz Newsome, who many call a human highlight reel. Uh, he fell to the sixth round because of his lack of speed. He has a lot of mental lapses with route running. But th- those are things that can be f- – I mean, the speed obviously can't be fixed, but they can fix the route running. And if the guy catches everything that's thrown his way and he can learn to create a little bit of separation in his routes, he could be effective. And on top of that, you know, I think Matt Nagy, the head coach, GM Ryan Pace, those guys have been there for a couple of years and haven't really been able to get over the hump. So why not throw a Hail Mary and and see what happens? Because at this point, well, if you know you're working for your job, you're literally, you know, Whatever happens this season could be the ultimately what dictates their future. Yeah, both their jobs are on. Why not take a shot? If they're going to get fired, they don't give a fuck about the draft pick next year that they traded. You know, who cares? Yep. I mean, they, they spent, uh, they sw- traded from 20 to 11 and also gave up a fifth round this year and a first and a fourth next year. So that's not a cheap move to get up nine spots, but they got the guy they wanted that they're hoping, you know, might make some noise and salvage their career. Uh, They also added protection to him, an immediate starter and Tevin Jenkins, offensive tackle. And they moved up for him. He was a 52nd pick or I'm sorry. They had, they traded up from the 52nd pick to the 39th to grab him. 
And uh, he was a projected first rounder. Uh, Mel Kuyper lost his mind when the Bears drafted him because they were like, he couldn't believe he was still available. Mm -hmm. So that's my uh, take on the Bears. They are my second pick as the, you know, the, the second winner for the NFC. So we're going to slide on over to the losers now. We're going to start with Kylie picking his first loser in the AFC. My first loser... It's it's kind of a tough spot for them because they hey you know they got they got they're trying to redo all this whole this whole thing here in Houston what what Bill O'Brien left them with trading all their picks away train wreck <laughs> the train wreck that yeah. has become there and then they got the Sean Watson thing going on as well uh, it's a bit of a mess that being said I don't think they did a great job with the picks they made. They picked a mediocre quarterback with with their first pick in the that Davis Mills. Davis Mills yeah. from Stanford. Yeah, um, I don't know. I just I don't see. I mean, you basically they have Tyrod Taylor, who's a mediocre quarterback, and you know what I mean. You don't have to tell me, <laughs> right? You don't have to tell us that. Story. I remember. I do remember though when he went from Buffalo and he signed with Cleveland, and I had Browns fans who were like, "I don't know, man. Maybe he just wasn't a fit up there." I'm like, dude. He will throw to nobody but your tight end and your running backs. He yeah. does not hit receivers. It's just, it's just not good. But carry on. Yeah, it, that was with the 67th pick. Um, must have been early third round, I guess. Um, they, yeah, so they didn't have any picks for a long time. That was their first pick, was 67. Um, and they took him. I, I feel like they should have just taken best available guy and move on. You know what I mean? They, they got to... They got to plow ahead and draft the best guys they can. And we don't opinion. know what's happening with Deshaun yet. Maybe when all this really gets don't. you know through, and, and say it's all you know, not something that he's going to get in trouble for or whatever. It's all found to be false. And at this point, no, nobody's he was untradeable. Yep. So I don't. I don't know. I he could end up there, and if they would have surrounded him with a few more guys, you know. Yeah, we just don't know what's going to happen with that right. whole situation. It's kind of crazy, and you know, it's. But it's does the tough. draft tell you that they're planning on proceeding right. out of that? that yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Is what does that show for sure? I, I get that. Yep. And then their next pick was at eighty nine. They drafted a receiver from Michigan, Nico Collins, who people had going like late, like fifth, sixth round. Um. So very questionable pick when there were. This was a pretty deep wide receiver draft, and and this was a guy that people were surprised to see they him reached. off the board. Yeah, a bit of a reach, people thought. Um, so I mean, and they only had I think four or five picks total is what it was. So I mean, this team's in trouble. I mean, they're probably looking. You're probably staring at a possible 0 and 17 season. First 0 and 17. Yeah. So I mean, it's it, they're. It's tough. It's going to be tough for them, I think, this year in the AFC. All right. Yeah. Yeah, they are. I think they're pretty screwed as well. So my first loser is going to be the Green Bay Packers. And the reason I chose the Packers is because, first of all, Aaron Rodgers knew stole the draft. Everybody, that's all anybody was talking about. And, in fact, uh, I can't remember what player it was. I think it might have been Joe Horn. I think it was Joe Horn. Joe Horn was outspoken about being pissed off that ESPN or whoever he was watching through 
their coverage was while uh, JC got drafted, there was very little talk about him or showing his celebration or anything like that because they were so glued to the Rogers story. And he like tweeted or did some. He he made a comment to somebody. Maybe I'll look it up later and share it with everybody. But uh, he made a comment about being upset about that. So here's the reason why I picked the Packers as the losers, though. Well, two things. Actually, there's way more than two, but we'll start with one. If the if the news, this is now my my belief, my opinion. If the news was true that the Niners were ready to give up all these picks, including Garoppolo, and it said numerous other players, which they didn't say who, but if they were willing to do all that and the Packers were like, knowing that he, maybe they didn't know it was going to get to this extent at that time, but if they did and they didn't pull the trigger on that trade, he has two years left at most, two or three, well, maybe maybe two or three, right, to play. Yeah. And he's what thirty eight. Yeah, he's thirty. Yeah, and that's what just, somebody the other night was like. Well, Brady's and Brady, you yeah, shut up. Right. Brady will play until he's fifty, the way he yeah. looks, and nobody's ever going to do that except for that guy. He hasn't had a carb since yeah. like nineteen ninety four. Yeah. Rogers so. doesn't take care of himself the way right. Brady yeah. does either. Sure, he, and he gets yeah, he's been injured more, and yeah. you know he's missed a lot more time. But anyways, you have Jordan Love on the bench, who's been you know he has a year of the program under his belt we don't know how he's going to be but if you have this this much you know a couple years left with the guy I just think at that point like if I'm the nine if I'm the Packers and the Niners say hey listen we'll give you a first this year next year the following year and Garoppolo and and this guy and this guy and picks later whatever if they're really if this is a huge package the Packers, I think, are stupid for not taking it because as great as Aaron Rodgers is, I love Aaron Rodgers. I think he's an amazing quarterback. He's one of the best I've ever watched. But his clock's ticking. you got to start thinking about your future. And if you can get all these picks to build something around Jordan Love, if that's going to be your guy, uh, or even Garoppolo, if he's your bridge guy to get to Jordan Love, whatever. Yeah. You have all, this, all these, you know, all these picks at your disposal and these players, which I wish they would have named more, but – I just think that that's the time to do it. If he's unhappy, let him go. Let him go. Start fresh. It's. I understand that it's a win now league, and I think that that's the problem with everybody's like kind of mentality on it. Is well, no, because we're not going to win with Jordan Love next year, right. but Aaron Rodgers, we might. So I just think that that's stupid to do. But anyways, yeah. so the Packers don't pull the trigger on that, and what do they do? What they always do. They haven't drafted an offensive player in the first round since 2011, and they haven't drafted a receiver in the first round since Donald Driver, which was like 2002 or 2001. And that's all Aaron Rodgers wants. So if this guy's pissed off and you know that, don't you you get him a receiver in the first round with your first pick? You'd think maybe. You get him something. (laughs) Yeah, but no. They take, uh, what is it, Eric Stokes? Took a defensive back. So... Rodgers gets no love again. He has Devontae Adams and Jones. He just wants one more guy because I think Valdez Scantling sucks. I don't think he's that good. No. When Adams goes down, Scantling doesn't, like, light it up. Who's There's one other guy that I think is maybe a little bit better than Scantling, but can't even come up with his name right now. But Yeah, so they draft Eric Stokes. They do get Amari Rodgers in the third round, mm-hmm. which is said to be a solid pick. 
but there is more talent there, you know, and they just don't don't go after anybody. They don't move up to get a guy. They don't. They stay put. They do what the Packers do, and I just don't. I, I just think their draft was not feasible to keeping Rodgers. And if they had an opportunity to get rid of him, they blew it. I mean, I'm sure they they still could. They could still get rid of him and get a lot of shit for him. But if you're in that moment and that's everything that's going on and you, you can move up to guaranteed the third pick instead of next year. So you trade them now, say you trade them to the Raiders and the Raiders win 10 games. Your first round pick just went from what would have been a third to, you know, low twenties, mid twenties, whatever it might end up being or whoever he goes to, whoever he goes to is going to win football games. Right. He's a good quarterback. I literally said to our buddy, Mike Honorati, who's a 49ers fan. I said, I said that that was too, I think that, it was too much. He agreed. He didn't. He's like, not too much a, for the Niners to he, give up. To give up. Yeah. Too, too much for the 49ers to give up. Yes. If you could hold on to the three and get him, I think you could have. I think that would have been okay for them to do because they have a quarterback for the future behind them. Right. But not giving up, not giving up, um, Lance. They, they wanted Lance. Right. And I don't, I think giving up Lance would have been too much. I, I, and I agree with that. But that's why I'm saying the Packers are stupid. Right, the Niners I, right, were, hand in hand. Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm agreeing on with board that. With yep. that, then <laughs> right. go for it. Yeah. You know. But all right, so that's my first loser. So we're gonna move on to Kylie's loser number two. What's the pick? My final pick. Your final pick in the NFL draft. Draft. Yep. Goes to the local legend, Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know we're a Pittsburgh, we're Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Cleveland area here, sure. and so a lot of Steelers fans. Um, some who really like this draft. It's very funny. I see it very split down the middle. So have I. And I, I, I'm, I'm gonna leave that up for. We'll see. But, but um, a lot of the people that I like know that know a lot about football and stuff, and don't really like this draft for them. Um. They have a Lamborghini, I feel like, that has no engine, yeah. kind of. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great <laughs> I mean, that's they, a great they have a lot of flashy players, They and they, they added to it here with Najee Harris, with their first pick, and but they did not address the offensive line, which is... Which was a thirty-first in the league run blocking and getting worse. They, you know, they lost... Villanueva, um, Gilbert retired, Pouncey retired. Yeah, so... I mean, I don't understand how they so, did. Mike Kuzminski made a good point, though. So I'll give him credit on this because he wholeheartedly loves the draft, which is strange to me because he is a guy who knows a lot about football. But Kuz loves the draft. And what he told me is that, well, maybe getting rid of those three guys will make it better. <laughs> maybe. I mean, those were the ones who were 31st in the league, right? right. Pouncey's your anchor, though. Pouncey's your, I mean, you can't, Pouncey's a good offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. Has been his whole career. He's a Hall of Famer, I would probably think. And, but yeah, I, I have seen it split down the middle. But maybe Kuz is right. Maybe right. It's not going to get worse. Right. But I guess it can't get worse. It can only get worse, one spot worse, worse, worse than thirty first. Yeah. 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 So I mean, that's I, I guess that's not a horrible point. But I, I don't know that it. I don't know that it gets better either. Right. <laughs> we'll see. Well, they didn't. Uh, they didn't take. I mean, they did draft what two offensive linemen? I think they did. Like, yes, third round was Green. Eighty seventh overall was was Kendrick Green from Illinois. Yes, and then at one twenty eight, they took 
Dan Moore, offensive tackle from Texas A&M. He's which, huge, isn't he? I think he's the one who I saw was yeah, a they, large space. He's a lot of people thought he would be a second-day prospect, too. This was actually a pretty good pick. So um, so they, they did salvage that a little bit late in the draft. I think uh, some people would have liked them to see them get, you know, get a higher end prospect earlier right. in the draft. Somebody but who's more of a plug and play. Is right, make right a away. Right now. Yeah. But and then their second pick was tight end from Penn State, Pat Fryermuth, which I would kind of wanted him in Buffalo. Yeah, you well. you liked him. I've heard yeah, mixed reports. Yeah. And Andrew was a little bit bullish on him. Says he doesn't. He, right. That could be it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, I mean, that definitely could be it. Because he, he also didn't like uh, um, Owie, or the VN from Penn State. James James California wanted Fryermuth in L.A. with yeah. the Rams. Yeah. But he's also a huge Rams fan and a huge Penn State fan. Right. So that could have had something to do with it, but I don't think it did. I, James is usually pretty spot on with his uh, football knowledge, and I wanted, I wanted Fryermuth. And I was even looking down the line – before Buffalo picked, mm-hmm. and I'm like, they don't need a tight end. They don't need a tight end. I, I, Steelers, I guess, kind of did, but I just thought they would go elsewhere. I'm right. thinking second round, they're going to go lineman now. Since they took Najee Harris, right. you're going to address the offensive line, right? Right. No. Once I saw Buffalo sign Hollister, I was pretty sure they weren't going to draft a tight end. That's true also. I With with Knox Hollister, I feel like that's a pretty good one-two guys there. I think Knox still has some upside, too. And Tommy Sweeney's coming back. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. For, I forget about him. He was injured now. and actually showed some promise when he was on the field. But Yeah. Yeah, once they signed Hollister, I was like, I feel like they're probably not going to draft one now. Yeah. I thought so before. Before they signed him, I was like, it's very possible. But once they signed him, I was like, yeah. Anything else on the Steelers' shitty draft? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I think it was mostly those. Well, we could talk about their punter they drafted in the seventh round. Who could probably play offensive line? <laughs> right, two hundred sixty-seven pounds. That guy's gonna punt a ball to Warren from Pittsburgh. Jesus, I saw that picture and I was like, "What? <laughs> no punt returner is gonna want to get past the line of scrimmage after this. Gonna be a fair catch after fair catch." Yeah, that yeah, but it's huge. Oh yeah, he's a monster. But, but yeah, yeah the, it, it was, was mostly those first two picks that I just didn't agree with very much for them same. Pers- personally. Same. And, I, and like you said, I've seen Steeler fans who liked it, and I think Kuz made a good point. But I've seen Steeler fans who hate it because they they understand that without blocking, Najee Harris is not going to be as, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and don't get me wrong. Najee Harris, I think, is a is a very good player. A Lamborghini without an injury. Right. You may, right. That's the best way to put it. Honestly. Yeah, it, in a... In a pool of running backs that every year is so deep. That's the big thing, yep. too. All right. Well, I guess we'll move on to Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick of the <laughs> winners and losers of the NFL draft draft. And loser number two from the NFC, I have chose the Seattle Seahawks. They only had three picks. Did you know that? I did not know that. They only picked three wow. players in the entire draft. They had three picks, and I think they kind of blew all of them. Uh, I did see one of them was a receiver. One of them, their first pick, which was in the second round, it was number 56, was Dwayne Eskridge, a wide receiver from Western Michigan. So to put it in perspective, and this is why everybody hates this, and this is exactly why I was actually texting California when this pick came in and I was like stupid pick why why would they go this is the route they take 
Eskridge is 5'9", 190. Tyler Lockett, who they just signed to a four-year extension, is 5'10", 182. And every comparison I've seen from every you know other outlet is like, he has the same skill set as Tyler Lockett. They basically have two Tyler Lockett's and DK Metcalf. Which, sure, you got a lot of weapons, but Russell Wilson was sacked the league leading 52 times last year. So don't you want to put somebody up front? That would have been my thought. And his legs aren't getting any younger. No, and not to mention, until the arrival of Carlos Dunlap, their defense was atrocious. So I, I just, I think... That now, did they, they, did, they, did they hold on to Dunlap? I can't that remember I can't if he remember. stayed there or not. I know uh, What's-His-Nuts was trying to recruit him to Buffalo, but that didn't pan yeah, out. Yeah, because I, it was but no, he, last he, year. He signed, but I can't remember where. Me either. Pull that up real quick while we uh, mm-hmm. finish out talking shit on the Seahawks. Because that's just, that's a, like I said earlier with the Niners, it's a tough division. And your defensive line, look at the defensive lines they face. I mean, Aaron Donald alone, that's, you know, two games a year that Russell Wilson's running for his life. Now, I mean, Arizona's defensive line got better with J.J. Watt. I still think Arizona's the worst team in that division. But it just, the, the pick made no sense to me when... They need help at the offensive line. They did draft an offensive lineman, but it was, you know. Uh, 208. Yeah. yeah. It was somebody no no good. Just not not somebody who you're going to plug and play right now, and that's what they need is somebody to protect. 52 times he was sacked, league leading. He, they, they did, did re-sign Carlos. So they got Dunlap back. To a two-year deal. Okay, so Dunlap's back. So I – but – I still don't even see how he was like the saving grace of the defense. I get, I mean, very when did Jamal Adams go there? Was that uh, midseason? Uh, or was that a full season he played? There? I think he was suspended the first few games or something, right? Probably. I think that it was. There was something like that where he didn't. I think they had him right away, but he had to sit okay. out for a little bit. So I don't know. Yeah, their defense did turn it around a little bit the second part of the year. So maybe that'll not be, you know, as bad for them season long this time around, but. Still got Wilson running for his life and nobody to protect him. So, all right. That's going to wrap up the draft. Draft. So, we're going to take a quick break and we will be back for a little story time in this week in sports history. Let's take a look back at this week in sports history. 
All right, we're back. Another edition of Sports History. Uh, we are going off track this week. Uh, no 10 facts, just one giant fact, one giant story. Like I said, I would in last week's episode. Uh, we had discussed one of the facts last week was Tanya Harding sued Jeff Gillooly. Uh Again, I don't remember how I said Gillooly last week, but I have it sounded out in front of me on a sheet of paper. I have to say that a bunch of times here soon. And I'm probably going to fuck it up at least once, maybe seven times. So we're going to go over the timeline of the event that took place January 6, 1994, when Nancy Kerrigan's attacked after practice at the Cabo Arena in Detroit, Michigan, which I believe is now the Joe Lewis or was the Joe Lewis. It was one of the biggest scandals in sports history. So it is not in the time frame. So it is this week in sports history. We are... Going off of that week, like I said, it's off track. Something different. Uh, I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to learn about it. So here we go. Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan are longtime rivals. In mid-December of 1993, Harding finishes a discouraging fourth at the World Figure Skating Championships. So this is December 93. Remember, the attack took place January 6, 94. So that's the where we're going to go from mid-December to that time. So she has a rough outing, Tanya Harding does. With the U.S. championships coming up in Detroit, her dream of Olympic gold was fading. She blames the judges, saying that there were political judges who preferred Nancy Kerrigan. So back in Portland, where uh, Harding lived with her on-again, off-again husband and on-again, off-again manager, Jeff Gillooly, he tells Sean Eckert. Eckert is Tanya Harding's bodyguard. He tells Sean about... Harding's frustrations regarding Nancy Kerrigan. Eckert then recommends to Gillily that they send a threat to Kerrigan, but they're going to send it to all the skaters to kind of throw them off, including Harding, even though Harding would know, hey, it's not a real threat, but he's going to send this threat to all the skaters to throw off Kerrigan specifically. So Gillily's intrigued by this. He tells uh, Eckert that him and Harding would need to be in the loop on what he does. So then he tells Tanya Harding, uh, Gillily does, about what Eckert had recommended. And she says, that's a good idea. But she doubted that Eckert could pull it off. If you see a picture of the guy, you would see why. It looks like just a pathetic slob piece of shit. With a, he's like classic 90s heavyset guy. Heavyset, weird hair, and a mustache. So that's the... Sometimes bodyguard for Tanya Harding. So Eckert believes the threat against Kerrigan will boost his bodyguard business and escalates the plan from a threat to actually, quote unquote, taking her out and says he knows people who can do it. So the week of December 18th, 1993, Harding makes plans to travel to Nationals with a $10,000 donation made through the U.S. U.S. Figure Skating Association. This is where I found some humor. The person who made that donation to Tanya Harding, George Steinbrenner. So the money, and this is, I've seen mixed, mixed stories on this, but the money used to pay off these guys for this attack was actually donated from George Steinbrenner. Of course, he wasn't involved, but it's another reason to fucking hate the Yankees. So <laughs> we always need them. Right. Yeah. So Eckert quotes the attack at $4,500. That's what he tells Gilly and Harding. So Christmas Eve, 93, Gillily gets 
repeated phone calls from a guy who only say his name is Derek and he wants to discuss the attack. So now Gilly's starting to panic and he wants to pull the plug on this because he said too many people know this is going to get out there and he wants to pull the plug. Well, he then meets with uh, or talks to Eckert, changes his mind. He gets back on board with the plan. So on December 26th, two days later, he agrees to meet Derek uh, and to get Kerrigan's training schedule. That's And, and the final price they negotiate is $2,000. That's what they negotiate for, you know, the price of the uh, attack. So then Vera Moreno, who's a nationally known figure skating writer in Pennsylvania, which shows you how much I know about figure skating, because I live in Pennsylvania. I've never heard of this lady before, right? But I also don't know shit about figure skating. But she's nationally known, and she's from PA. She gets a belated Christmas call from Tanya Harding. Tanya calls her, just hey, just you know, wanted to wish you Merry Christmas a couple days late. And Harding throws in there, hey, I need to settle a bet. Can you give me the info about where Kerrigan practices? Because I, you know, I'm saying it's one place somebody else. It's a bet we made. I think I'm right. Can you tell me where it is? Of course, Morano says, you know, it seems harmless. Yeah. So she gets her the info. So we're on to December 28th. Gilly meets with all the others who are involved at Eckert's house. Eckert's mother, Agnes, actually greets Gilly at the door and says, oh, they're back here for the meeting you're coming to. So Agnes has an idea about what's going on, and it seems, right? So she escorts him back to the meeting. The participants in the meeting include Derek, who's Derek Smith, and Shane Stanton, along with, obviously, Eckert and Gilly. So the four of them meet. Discussions include cutting Kerrigan's Achilles tendon or breaking her leg or kneecap. Eckert even suggests that we crash a car into her or murder her by sniper fire. Now, according to everything I read, the room kind of fell silent. And I think everybody looked at Eckert like the fuck's wrong with you, dude. We're just trying to throw her off. And he's, he's ready to kill her. For so, two grand. For two grand. Yeah. For, <laughs> for two grand. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ridiculous. Inflation costs way more these days. <laughs> right. So, the plan is to attack her at the training site in Boston after they figure out, you know, where she's at. And they're going to leave a note to threaten the other skaters to make it look good. So it wasn't a, an attack just on Kerrigan. We just got Kerrigan first, but the rest of you are next just to throw everybody off a little bit. And that also includes Harding. They were going to include her on this note. So Harding picks up Gilly from the meeting. And when he briefs her on it, she laughs and says, let's do it. It's on. So the attack's on. Harding calls the rink in Boston for Kerrigan's practice time and actually remarks to Gilly. Now, this is what Gilly says. After Harding calls the, the rink, he she gets off the phone. She looks at Gilly and says, that stupid bitch gave it to me regarding her practice schedule, whoever she called and talked to at the rink. Harding later denied that part of it and called it bullshit and said that Gilly made the call. So we're on to December 29th and 30th. 1993, so we're getting close to January. Shane Stant flies to Boston and begins stalking Kerrigan. Gilly starts to get upset because he's not being kept in the loop daily about what's going on. So he begins to think this whole thing is a flop. There was actually a, a situation where um, Harding had 
contacted Eckert and said they wanted their money back. This is bullshit. And no, 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 it's fine. This is going to happen. But Eckert says, well, we need more money. So he did want more than two grand. But Gillily said no. So he doesn't get any more of that money. So now they have a second meeting at Eckert's home. During this meeting, Agnes, the mother's present, Gillily says, you know, what do you think uh, about this plan? And Agnes says, well, I think it'll work. And Harding was like, huh, how, you know, does Sean Eckert tell his mother everything? And Gillily says, yes, he actually, most of the stuff he's involved in, he shares with her. And Harding says, neat. That's neat. So she's surprised that that happens, but she thinks it's cool that he's that close with his mom. So we're on to January 4th. In Portland, Sean Eckert makes a phone call to a buddy of his named Rusty Wrights and asks if he would kill someone for $65,000 or break somebody's leg and says he has a job to do in Detroit. Now, Detroit's two days away, U.S. figure skating championships. So on January 6th, two days later, a man with a black metal baton clubs Nancy Kerrigan just above the right knee after a practice session at that are the Kobo Arena in Detroit. The attacker is then chased, but he breaks through a glass door and escapes. He has a getaway driver. Later in the day, Eckert contacts Rusty Wrights and asks him if he saw the news and says, well, Kerrigan got it. There's actually video. They don't get video of the attack, but what they do get video of, which most people have probably seen at some point in their lives, is the aftermath where Kerrigan's laying on the floor, holding her knee and at, screaming, why me, why now? You know, obviously she's trying for her shot at the Olympics two days after, you know, before this. Or, I'm sorry, a couple days following this. So three days pass to January 9th. And the guy who's credited with kind of crack in this case, Detroit Deputy Police Chief Benny Napoleon. R.I.P. Benny, he died of COVID complications in December 2020. So he actually just recently passed, but he has always been credited for, you know, getting this case rolling. He's home sleeping. His pager goes off. He gets a calls into work. Work says, hey, we have a lady on the phone who says she has information about the Kerrigan attack, but she'll only talk to you. She won't talk to anybody else. So Benny goes in, makes the call. The woman who remains unknown to this day says she heard a recording that and provided the four names of the men on the recording. So Eckert recorded what I would presume to be the very first meeting where the four of them were together. So she provides all this information to Benny Napoleon. Napoleon sets up a meeting with the FBI and started verifying the information and found it to be credible. Back in Portland on the same day, Eugene Saunders, who is a priest, calls into the FBI, actually through via a private investigator who he called immediately, calls the FBI and says, hey, Sean Eckert, or Eckhart, played him a tape of the meeting, planning the attack on Nancy Kerrigan. So it seems like he's starting to feel a little bit of guilt going on in, you know, in his mind about what he had planned and what they had carried out. Or he just realized $2,000 probably wasn't worth all of this. 
January 11th, a Detroit resident finds a black baton outside the arena and turns it over to the FBI for fingerprinting. In the few days following, Eckert, Derek Smith, and Shane Stant give signed FBI confessions for their roles in the attack. Eight days later, Gillily is charged for planning and coordinating and funding the attack. And in March, they finally get Harding to crack, and she pleads guilty to conspiracy to hinder prosecution, does avoid jail time, gets three years of probation, and is banned from ever figure skating again in the United States as far as the sanctioned competition goes. She's also stripped of her title that she won, so we're going to backpedal. Harding wins the Detroit, the, the, that tournament where this took place, or the competition, whatever they call it. Harding actually wins that. Makes the Olympics. They still give Kerrigan a spot. Even though Harding is involved, uh, they still allow her to be in the Olympics, which is pretty wild. You know, they knew this was going on, and they still allow her to be in it. Uh, Harding finished eighth in the Olympics, which everybody called up karma. Uh, Kerrigan took silver. Oksana Bayul, 16-year-old Ukrainian, wins the gold. So, again, once guilty, she's stripped of that 94 championship that she won after Kerrigan couldn't compete and blew it in the Olympics. So, a short discussion on this, because that's the story. A lot, a lot of crazy shit, a lot more into it than I thought, a lot more planning than I thought. Meetings in Portland and Boston and stalking her, you know, the sniper fire. I didn't know anything about that. Um, but I have a burning question that I will probably, well, I know at this point, I'm sure I'll never get the answer to. Who called Benny Napoleon? Right. Right. I mean, that's my, it was I have top one, of my list, one so. person in my head. Agnes Eckert. The mom knew everything. She didn't get charged with nothing. She didn't. So did she cooperate? Did she call in and say, I want to talk to the chief because I want to make sure that I have no part of any charges? Probably not. It's probably, I mean, if he played it for a priest, of course, playing it for the priest, I don't think it's the same as say, say this is just some girl who he's hooking up with, Eckert, which I doubt because, like, again, when you see him, there's no chance that he hooked up with girls. But... Um, I, I, I think there's a difference between him playing it for, you know, girl who he's hanging out with on a Tuesday night versus a priest, because you have that, there's a, you know, the, the trust. And, and actually I think there's in some religious cases, there's things you can admit to a priest that they cannot, they're sworn not to tell anybody. Mm -hmm. But I think, is it in this case, this was just so high profile that, uh, you know, Saunders, the priest says, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to have to relay this one on. And I, you know, I think there was a case in Erie where that guy uh, murdered somebody and then went to somewhere down by cathedral prep to a priest and started talking to him about it. And, but anyways, that's my burning question. That's why I think it's Agnes, Agnes Eckert. That's who did it. That's who called Benny Napoleon. Uh, from what I read, Benny Napoleon nicknamed this woman Patty, but he would never say what her real name was. So I have no, no idea why he chose Patty, but I doubt it has anything to do with what her real name is. So 
No thoughts on who who did it? Do you think Agnes might have done it? It's a good. I, it's as good a guess as anybody. I guess I could say because you know immunity for cooperating mm-hmm. doesn't get charged. Names left out of everything. She just led you know let it pointed them in the right direction. Leave me alone. I'm not telling you my name, but th- those guys over there did right. it. I was wondering why you highlighted that in the middle. I, the mix. I, I know yeah, I see. Yeah. Because once I was reading that, that's the first, mm-hmm. you know, and I get to the end. Because that part stuck out to right, me. Right. Because I get that. to Benny Napoleon mm-hmm. and immediately I'm like, well, who's this woman? But again, it could have been, you know, a yeah. girl who he was just palling around with. Maybe he was trying to impress her. You know, that could have been it. Yeah. You really don't. Yeah. yeah. Hey, check it out. You know, this is how powerful I am. I can orchestrate a crime against a future Olympian. Whatever. One other thing that you mentioned in there, you said towards the end, 65,000. Did you mean 100 or 1,000? I don't remember. 65,000. It was 65. Yeah, which clearly we he didn't have that. from 2,000 all of a sudden to 65. I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. I was like, maybe he meant to say 6,500. No, it was 65,000. Like, yeah, that's what he shit. offered this Rusty Wrights, and Wrights is like, what? But Wrights cooperated too. You know, he's... He, I would guess because his name's in everything okay. that that he okay. confirmed the calls from Eckert and mm-hmm. clearly didn't want anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't. There was no nothing I read that said that he was like, you know, pondering it or whatever. So, all right, well, that's it for this week in sports history. Like I said, it's a little bit different. We'll get back to ten facts. Probably next week, unless I find something else cool. But I like to stay on track. It is this week in sports history. We just came off track this time because uh, when I was recording, like I said, last week and the Tanya Harding thing, it just got my wheels turning and I wanted to learn more about that. Now everybody's learned more about that. Next week, 10 facts. Going to take a break. Be right back. Joe's very own world of sports. All right, we're back. My hive. Do want to apologize. Uh, this week, there is no things that sting. Not that there aren't some stories, but some of the other segments running a little long. I just cut that one out this week. For you things that sting fans, I do have a, a little teaser for you. Uh, BYU got some new uniforms. If you guys haven't seen that and uh, you're into meat gazing, something you can check out. The new uniform picture was posted through BYU's Twitter, their football uniforms, and uh, whoever modeled it, his crank is easily visible. So female listeners, you want to see some dick shape, check out BYU's new uniforms. Male listeners, if you're into that sort of thing, you can check it out also. But that's it. 
We're going to get right into my hive, and today we're going to talk about. We're going to start off with the NCAA playing rules oversight panel approving a change to the overtime rules. That's going to lead us into a bunch of stuff, so stay with me here. Teams are now required to run a two point play after a touchdown. Well, I'm sorry. Yes, they will be required to run a two-point play after a TD when the game reaches the second overtime period. So previously, it was after three overtime periods. In the fourth, you had to start going for two. Now it's in the second overtime period. So if the first overtime period ends in a tie, they will continue into the second one, but you have to go for two at that point. You can't kick extra points. So that's kind of a big change. It's it's a lot more immediate to end the game. Probably will hurt some overs, I'm sure. Uh, but what I want to kind of bring into that is that the NFL, I think everyone can agree, the NFL has some rules that they really need to change, and I think that they're just too proud to do it. I think that being a billion-dollar industry, which everybody knows college football is that also, but they're too proud to say that the NCAA got something right and that they have it wrong. Two examples. NFL overtime. Garbage. Right? You agree with that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So one team gets the ball, they score a touchdown, it's over. Other teams' offense might not even see the field. Now they're looking at a bunch of different avenues to go down for that, but why don't they just go to the college format? College football has it right. NFL just too proud. Helmet-to-helmet hits. Judgment calls. Some will say it fucked the Browns against the Chiefs in the playoffs. Should have been a helmet-to-helmet hit. Instead, it was a fumble and a touchback, or whatever it was, and Chiefs ball. Down at the goal line, right? Yep. But now if there's targeting, like there is in college football, they throw the flag, they review it, to see if it's helmet to helmet. If it's helmet to helmet, the player is ejected. Now, I'm not saying that has to happen because the shit happens all the time. But it di- it's dialed back helmet to helmet hits in college because players want to play the game. So, I don't know if they give them a warning the first time or eject them the first time. I don't, I don't know how they do that. But targeting's right. Because then if it's not a helmet to helmet hit, they pick up the penalty flag and they carry on. And how many times do we see in a season players getting flags thrown on them when their helmet goes into a shoulder pad, but to the ref's angle, it looked like helmet to helmet. It's bullshit. So I think one of the excuses the NFL uses for not wanting to implement another thing they can review is length of time a game takes, right? Yeah. Do you know how long uh, NFL game averages? No. Three hours and 12 minutes. Do you know what a college football game averages? Three hours and 24 minutes. So 12 minutes. What's I just don't see what the big deal is there. It's right. 12 fucking minutes. You get the games half the time run over. And, you you know, if you're watching on a local channel and your team's on at four o'clock, sometimes you miss the beginning of the game anyway because mm-hmm. of that bullshit. Unless you have ticket. Right. Right. But yeah. I just I think especially now that the NFL, which is, is also Slightly breaking news, but it's not too slight. Uh, It was rumored to be happening, and I think it's been made official. The NFL just partnered with Caesars, DraftKings, and FanDuel so that now 
NFL, which was the last of the four major sports leagues in the United States, are now signed in agreements with sports betting websites or casinos or whatever. So now more than ever, you need to get these calls right because now you're wrapping a a betting industry into it, which people lose money on those calls. They do affect the outcomes of games and people lose money. When did you start betting? Um, Probably... 10 to 15 years ago i i don't know just throw it's throwing stuff around here and there there i remember there was i don't even remember what it was there was like a website i remember that like offshore yeah it was some type of offshore thing you could do right and then and then people would you know well really you could look at people brought tickets and stuff to work right that stuff too that, that had lines that never adjusted yeah Either. Right. So you got him like fresh on a Tuesday. Yep. And if there was a quarterback that right, somebody gets hurt or week, something, yeah. 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 So there was other stuff, I guess, too, even further back. So that's about. I think I started in 2009. Is when I want to think it was, and I remember uh, having buddies over in my apartment and watching football in Erie, and them like being super excited about a score that took place, and I'm like, what? what? Why do you give a shit? And they're like, oh, I bet the over in that. And I'm like, what? And that's when they, you know, kind of educated me on what was going on. So I started like, you know, hey, can you make this bet for me? Can you do And they did it, you know, eventually. I, I don't think it was that day, but in the weeks to come, I'm like, so I remember too, of course, this is when sports betting on the internet, 2009, 10, wasn't popular. It was hard to find shit about it, you know, uh, illegal most places, of course. And then you go to, uh, I remember like on Sunday mornings, I'd get up and rush to country fair to get a newspaper so that I could see the lines because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's where the lines were always in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. So obviously uh, sports betting has come a long way in 11 <laughs> years, but so incredible. Really? Yeah. I mean that, and, and so it grew from there and I went to um, would have been at the casino working and like you said, the tickets, they did the parlay tickets, which at this point I'm already into sports betting, but I still do a parlay ticket here and there. Just, you know, old man I worked with, Wade, he was excited about it. So I'd throw, you know, five, ten bucks on one and see if I get lucky. But I'm already betting, betting, betting. Lines, parlays, teasers, you know, over-unders, whatever. And I do that through a guy who I meet at the casino, who's, again, name we're going to change, Big Brett. So Big Brad, he's my guy. With him a couple years, you know, every Tuesday we'd square up, whether it was I was paying him or he paid me, and life was good. Until one day Big Brad comes into the casino, and this is in, a, in July, and he says, hey, I uh, got some bad news. I said, what's that? He says, well, I'm, I'm not going to be doing the games this year. So I, you know, why? Well, I'm getting married. Girl I'm marrying doesn't like that I do that. She wants me to quit. Fair. Big bread's toast. Big bread's toast. Right. So, yeah, exactly. So Big Brad's done. So it's July. I'm like, shit, well, you know, college football, NFL, month and a half, two months away. I got to figure some shit out. So I'm on my way to Pittsburgh for a Pirates-Brewers game. 
I think some friends of ours like won a, a wine suite because that's what we sat in. We got to sample wine nice. and watch. Yeah. And uh, so on our way down there, I'm with a guy who I play ball with. And, and again, changing a name, we'll call him Bernard. Bernard says, you know, I, I tell him my dilemma and he says, well, I got a guy. I says, you have a guy who doesn't know me and will just willingly, you know, take me on. He says, yeah, I, I can set it up. He's a good, good guy, trustworthy. Okay. He just told me he's old, white, and rich. We'll call him Harold. So Harold's the guy. So I get in touch with Harold. Football season rolls around. I go through Harold. It's the same thing. Meet on Tuesdays. Life's good. Well, then I move away. And when I move away, things change. Well, what they changed to is instead of meeting him every Tuesday, I actually just met him every year and it was after the Super Bowl. So every year, each week, Tuesday morning, we set a number. He'd say, hey, this is what I have yet. Or, and if I'm off, then we'll adjust. We'll figure it out. What did we miss? Who, who mixed up? Sometimes it was him. You know, sometimes it was me. But we'd square up on Tuesdays, but we'd just roll that number into the next week. So if you're up 200 bucks, you know, going into the next week, you're up 200 bucks playing with house money. So it was, it was nice, but probably a little inconvenient for him. So anyways, one season rolls around, comes to an end. I got to head up to meet him, right? So I go and I, you know, I'm living hour and a half away or so at this point. So I drive up, you know, Harold knows I'm on my way. We meet. He, and, and this is the thing. Every time I met Harold, who is old, rich and white, it would be an extremely short conversation. I know nothing about him except for that. This is what he does. So he tells me, or I say to him, you know, it's always just the most generic small talk in the world when I see him. So I get up to Erie, I meet him. Harold, how you doing? He says, well, you know, I feel like I've had a cold for like a month. And I said, no, well, I hope you feel better. You know, you look okay. And yeah, I just haven't been feeling good, but you know, it is what it is. Okay. You know, get my money from Harold. And I leave. This is in February. It's the weekend after the Super Bowl. So fast forward a year. Actually, well, not even a year. Because we're going into, into August. The next betting season, right? Because I'm still just betting football. That's all I bet. And we're the opening day of college football. I'm pumped. Getting ready. Half hour before kickoff. Which I guess, what? A noon game. So 11.30. I'm waiting on the lines to come in. And I hear nothing. I said, what? It's odd. Half hour. Eh, maybe he's running a little late. So I wait. Quarter till. Nothing yet. So now I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I grab my phone. I text him. Hey, Harold, we doing the games today. You know, I kept it generic. I get back. Text. LOL. What? And I'm like, is this not Harold? No, you have the wrong number. Okay, sorry. So I sit there and I'm like, well, shit. And, you know, a couple things running through my head. Did he cut me off because I live too far away and it screws up his numbers each week? Or he changed his number a lot. Did he change his number and not tell me? So now I'm like, I, I, I don't know what to do. So college football goes by that day and I don't bet anything. And, you know, of course, there's no NFL that Sunday. So 
get to Monday or Tuesday and it's just still bothering me. Like, what the hell? Like, at least an explanation. If you tell me I live too far away, cool. But if you just forgot about me, that sucks. Or, you know, whatever. So I, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to text Bernard because Bernard knows this guy. So I text Bernard. I say, hey, uh, what's going on with Harold? You know, I, or actually I started it. I said, hey, remember when you set me up with Harold years ago to, to bet football? He goes, yeah. I said, well, have you talked to him? Like, because he hasn't sent me anything this year. And, and like, I don't know if he got a new number or what. And he writes back, Harold's dead. I'm like, what? Yeah, Harold's dead. I'm like, are you serious? He goes, yeah. And I said, well, what's his, you know, last name? I never knew it. I never knew his last name. So he tells me his last name. So I Google it, obituary. He died eight days after I met him. So, and I, I don't remember what the amount was. Probably like, it was over a grand. I think I was up that year, 1200, 12, between 12 and 1400. And I meet him. He tells me, you know, cause then it all just like comes plowing back into my face. Mm -hmm. I'm like, he told me he didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, he died eight days later. So the question always gets asked, what if he would have died before you got to meet him? I would have had to gone to his funeral and ask his family for the money, I guess. <laughs> it's not true. I would never, right. not in a million years. Right, of course. It. But it's just, it's crazy that a guy who I felt like I knew, you know, even though I didn't, I knew nothing about him. Not a, I don't know where he worked his entire life. I don't know where he lived. Right. I knew nothing. And eight days after I meet him and eight days after he says, I feel like I've had a cold for a month. He's dead. And that's the dead bookie story. It's heartbreaking and insane all at the same time. Because I feel like I lost a friend, but I didn't. I didn't, again, know. You didn't really know him. I didn't know him anything about him. I didn't even know his last name. So that was just, that's that's how it all got rolling. And when I found out Harold was dead, that's when, you know, at that point, the, the websites like he talked about. And that's what I found was Bavada, which was offshore, mm -hmm. super sketchy. They're like, we want your social security number, birth certificate. And of course I did it because I'm an idiot, but it, I mean, it didn't end up hurting me. I trust, put my trust in a place that ended up being okay. But I remember when I, uh, I hit a, a seven team, 10 or a seven team or a 10 team. It was big. It was like a $10 bet to win. Like it was like 1195 or something like that. And I hit it and I didn't even know it. Cause I was at a bills game. I was at a bills game and I didn't know it until I got back to, I think we stayed at Salamanca that night. And anyway, so I cashed a bunch of it out. Right. And it takes forever to get there. And it comes in a, you know, those like there's UPS and there's the post office and there's FedEx and all those normal delivery people. And then there's DHL. that yellow van. DHL. DH, what is it? DHL. Yeah, it's just it super weird. And, yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. yellow and red. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they show up at my house one day. I'm like, what? And, you know, how my wife online shops. It could have been anything. They hand me this envelope. <laughs> I open it and it's a check. So I go to the ATM to deposit it. 
And the ATM's like, we can't read this check. I'm like, great. They're like, enter amount. And I'm like, okay. So I enter the amount that's on the check and they accepted it. And a couple days later, it cleared. So that was legit. But I was like, couldn't run away from that fast enough. And then finally, you know, when it got legalized in Pennsylvania, then I, I was able to get onto rivers and, and now FanDuel is what yeah. it is now. But what do you use? I kind of, I've bounced around to a couple different ones. See, I've been on FanDuel lately, dude, but I haven't really that used is, it since March Madness. I haven't really done anything. That's something that I should do because, and, and I think at some point we'll have a, a whole segment about this on an, at another show, but um, the value, the different value you can find and different spreads, you know, even if it's a half point could be important. And like, a lot of the serious, serious betters I know, they really do check multiple places. My thing is like this tad bit of like OCD with my money. I like it all in one place. Right. Yeah. So that's what pisses me off is about having multiple, you know, a DraftKings, a FanDuel, a Rivers, a BetMGM. The other thing is the promotions they all offer too are right. actually very valuable. You can get some good value off of the yeah, promotions they offer. And they're all different. Yeah. yeah. And even your even initial Barstool's got one now. Yeah, Barstool Sport. <laughs> See, that's one that I would like to get into too because I bet you FanDuel doesn't really prop as much as I thought they would in, in different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they had nothing for the draft. Right. Nothing. That I saw, unless I missed it, but I mean, I searched all over the app and they had nothing about like picking, you know, betting on who's going to be the first pick. Of course, it was terrible value, but free money, you mm-hmm. know, I think it was a uh, minus 400 or something like that, which still, you know, that 400 to win 100, everybody knew Lawrence was going there. Mm-hmm. But even then, if he didn't, you're out 400 bucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so value. But yeah, so that's going to wrap it up. My high segment. Anything you want to add, Kylie? Um, when you cashed that check, did you do an even amount? Because I have a little bit of a funny story about that. I, I did because when I when I cashed out, I took an even amount out. Of yeah, because when I was doing, I got into online poker, very similar type thing, and then I cashed out off of that one time, like two grand, and I did it two thousand even. And I could tell that they they knew something was up because it was an even amount like that. Oh, uh, okay. So when I start any other future cash outs I did, I did made them just like some odd, so it looked more like a paycheck or something. So you think the bank, yeah, okay. So the, you bank, think the bank thought they looked at the time. Remember when I gave it to them? They, I, the look, I was like, okay, next time I need to like make this a, like two thousand one hundred forty-seven sixty-seven. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I did the ATM deposit, and it was just like immediately like we can't read this. How much is it? And I'm like, dude, if I got screwed up, right. I was gonna be so pissed. Right. Especially when you hit a parlay like that. Right. You know, for a sure. big one for over a grand. I was pumped, and yeah, so I would have been pretty annoyed. But all right, Kylie. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me on anytime. Well, I think this this will probably become a more common thing, especially when we get, you know, around to football and there's a lot more to talk about. We're in that uh zone right now where it's we're glad baseball's here, but the draft are you know, that makes everybody ready for football, but nobody wants to wish summer away. Yeah. I, I say that to Devin all the time and she gets so pissed. I'm like, Man, I just want it to be September. Especially now. You know, <laughs> Buffalo's good. Right. And that's something we haven't been able to every summer, you know, prior to it's, well, 
They might be good. They got, you know, that guy, you know, and maybe he'll be good. Maybe he'll turn it around. Maybe Sammy Watkins will be the guy. Maybe, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick will start out 6-0 and and they'll extend him and then they'll lose the next seven. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> but it's just now we know, you know, we have this team. We have a, a good GM, good coach. They're, the structure that they're doing with everything, it's nice. So thanks again for being on. And uh, like I said, this will – this will definitely be something we'll do again. I'm sure it's going to get a lot of good feedback because the Apton knows everybody and he's the home run king and 78 time <laughs> softball champion. Taking a break. Be right back with closing. All right, everybody, that wraps up this week's edition of the Beehive Sports Podcast. Again, I want to thank Kylie for being on. That was a lot of fun. I am very much looking forward to doing that with him again. We have a lot to talk about, and we'll have some disagreements that if you ask our group text, they will tell you are hilarious. So we'll try and get some of those on the air as well. Uh, I do want to say uh, to everybody, start liking, start sharing, start conversing on the Facebook page if you wish. I do have a giveaway planned for the future uh and it is going to be involving people who have top fan badges so like share comment give your two cents argue with somebody call me an idiot i don't care just get on there you get a top fan badge i'm writing them down the people who have them now there is going to be a giveaway involving those people lastly just want to say happy mother's day to all the moms out there specifically mine barb uh, without her, wouldn't be where I'm at. She's the bomb. So, happy Mother's Day. Don't forget to call your mother on Sunday. Get her flowers, take her to dinner. Till then, see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>